Well, today we are continuing in our series of week two of Unshakable. And as you know, if you, as you noticed, uh, my, my arm, I still have to wear the sling. A couple more weeks of this, uh, for those of you that are wondering, I partially tore my bicep tendon um, and it wasn't fun. It hurts. Well, it hurts then. It doesn't really hurt that much now unless I do the wrong thing. It definitely reminds me that I'm getting older and I don't like that reminder, but that's okay. It is life. It is what it is. It moves on. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to pick up there here in just a second. So how many of you think if you won the lottery, life would be instantly different? Anybody? Right now, the Powerball's at 33, no, $333 million. Just want to make sure I get that right. Don't, I'm not telling you to go buy a lottery ticket, but I am saying that, you know, if you do, tithe. So <clears throat> whatever. But how many of you think if you won the lottery instantly, life would be different? I think most of us would. $333 million would change life forever for most of us. It'd be a good tithing, right? It'd be a world-changing event for most of us if we won the lottery. And most of us, unfortunately, we wait for moments like this in our spiritual life. We wait for God to show up and change something drastically like winning a lottery before anything really changes. Uh Uh-oh, I got quiet real quick. (laughs) We ask God, God, heal me so that I can finally do what you've called me to do. God, please fix this issue so I can finally be who you've called me to be. God, get me that new job because I can't stand my boss and then I'll serve you. Then something will change externally so I can finally be who you've called me to be. We're waiting for our lottery winning moment in Jesus. In fact, most of Christianity at times has served God like a genie in a bottle. We've rubbed our magic lamp. We've hoped for him to work and operate. And then when and if he does, then finally we can be who we've been called to be. Unfortunately, that's not true of unshakable people. People in scripture that were unshakable, the patriarchs that went before us, the matriarchs that led the way, they were unshakable because they were committed. They were committed far beyond any external circumstance. They were committed far beyond external change. They were committed before they ever even endeavored in a task. Again, I think it's as if some of us are waiting for externals to change so that we can finally see change in us. And unfortunately, that's not the way it happens. We're gonna get to a biblical understanding of how change happens eternally and temporally in us today as we talk through the message. But before we do, I want to give you some of the great philosophical waxings of the Southern philosopher and country singer, Clint Black. Wherever you go, there you are. Anybody remember that statement? That song from Clint Black? Wherever you go, there you are. If you weren't into 80s country, you might not remember it. But it's true of all of us that no matter where life brings us, no matter what things change around us, no matter what vacation we take, no matter what new job we take, no matter the extent we try to see externals drive change in our life, we still end up at the same spot. In fact, I'd like you to say it with me. Big, bold, and proud, wherever we go, there you are. There we go. Again, I think too many of us are hoping that the external change brings about an inward change. I think many of us prayed these Hail Mary praises. COVID was running through the nation and as the negative news kept piling and piling and piling, we prayed things like, God, if you just save me from this virus, I'll go to church more, Jesus. If you're watching online and you're not in church and you prayed that prayer, I'll see you next week. 
Some of you prayed wild prayers as the Cubs a few years ago got into the playoffs and you said, dear Jesus, if you'll just save us from this goat, I promise I'll go to church. The Cubs won the World Series and some of you haven't been in church since. Now see, too often we're hoping for the external change to motivate something internally when the Bible is totally focused on internals. All of scripture motivates us first from the inward sense first. The only thing that will change in your life, the only thing that will bring change in your life is you bringing change intentionally. We tend to think that our problems and our circumstances will just go away if the world around us changes that things will suddenly be different, but they won't because you are who you are. You bring with you into every new relationship the same baggage. You bring with you into every, every new stage of employment the same issues. You bring with you into every new church, if you're church hopping, the same stuff you left the old church with. In fact, we've been through that as pastors. We've been through that personally as employed pastors of churches where we thought if we just get away from one organization because it's not obviously not run right, you know, we're three years out of Bible college. Obviously, we know everything about ministry. And this church just ain't run right. But if we get to the next one, it'll be perfect. You know, we found out all the insecurities and issues that we had in the one organization followed us to the next because we needed to change, not the organization. That's why we get trapped in cycles, man. Humanity is almost bent to live in cycles, if you look at our, our news networks, you see these cycles keep repeating themselves, economic downturns, the fear of another virus. By the way, let me help you out. There will be in the news in the fall, the push for the second wave of corona. It'll be bad too. It'll be horrible. I promise you, they will blacken the skies with the idea of the second wave of corona. It's a cycle that we live in where news or finances or emotional cycles just can't seem to be broken free because we internally aren't changing, aren't motivated to change. We can make commitments. We can renew commitments. We can try harder, but realizing in our trying and in our efforts, in our renewal of commitments, many times it's just our effort being expended to spin the wheels of the same cycle. The best results we can hope for anytime we expend our own efforts is whatever we can accomplish by our own hand. Those are the best results we could hope for. So if you're not real good at quitting an addiction and you try in your own strength and power to quit, the best result you can hope for is whatever you can muster. If you're trying very hard to establish a new mode of being in your job, you're trying to be more productive, the best you can hope for is the level of, product, of production that you can muster on your own strength. It's all about what we can do when we get caught in these cycles and less about what has already been accomplished in us through Christ Jesus. Again, if you have your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, verse 17, so we're gonna go about halfway down the chapter. It says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, or your Bible might say new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, everything has become new, new God isn't interested in fixing you. I mean, let me help you understand this. Hopefully it sets in in this moment. God is not interested in fixing you. You say, but pastor, I'm broken. And the Bible assures me that, that I can be made whole in Christ Jesus. That's true. 
But pastor, you don't understand. Our marriage is on the rocks. We need it fixed. God will help, but it's, he's not interested in fixing. He's not, re, he's not interested in refurbishing the old version of who you were and hoping that you'll make it through the next trial and test and season of life. This scripture is very specific that he's interested in making you totally new, that you live and settle into a new set of rules, a new set of being, a new way of living. That in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, when it says, therefore, anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creature or new creation, that all things have become new, a new creation. This is a very heavy phrase and it bleeds down through church history in so many wonderful ways. And we'll talk about that here this morning. The first concept is the Greek word for new and I'm not gonna read the Greek for you, but it's the idea that you're recently made, that you're fresh, that it's recent and unused, it's unworn. It's that which has been made that is superior to what it succeeds that who you were in the past, this new version of yourself in Christ is so much better than the old one. And then it moves on to say creation. It's something that's been created out of nothing. It's always a divine work. So it's the idea we can gather from the language that something that's recently made, totally remade from the ground up, that it supersedes, that it's better than the previous version and that it's totally new. It's a divine work. It's a divine knitting together of a new creation. If we had to read this verse directly out of the Greek and parse it out perfectly, it would say, therefore, if anyone in Christ, a new creation, the old thing have passed away, behold, has emerged new. It doesn't make sense in our modern vernacular, the way they cut up the wordage there. But the reason for it is they're trying to give a very specific picture. If anyone in Christ, We have this concept, we throw the word be in there because we have to understand how things work. The Greeks didn't do that with their language. They just said, if anyone all of a sudden have found a new station, if anyone in Christ not be, not work towards, not have worked towards, not have tried to figure it out, if all of a sudden you find yourself out of Christ and now in Christ by reason of the cross, a new creation. It's a declarative statement that once you move from the old to the new, you are made new. You are not who you used to be. It says all, or I'm sorry, it says the old things passed away. It means what it says in the scripture. The writer's very specific. Old things are dead and buried. And there's a new declaration. Behold, has emerged new Again, we don't get it because of the connotation of how we think and try to reason, but there was a lot of reasoning within the Greek language, but there was still a lot of mysticism within the way the Greek language was written. And so when they would drive a certain point home, they would either use logic or they would use the mystery of the unknown. And here the writer's using the mystery of the unknown, that once you were something, now you become something else because you're in Christ Jesus. You are totally and entirely made new, Behold, what has come has emerged new. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 12 talks about how the newness of the life that we have in Christ comes to reality. It says, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Very simple statement from John, that if we have Jesus, we have life, but again, we could pass over it because we don't understand the language. That word life there is the word zoe. Uh, Really, it's talking about a genuineness of life. 
But John chapter, or 1 John chapter 5 and verse 12, in conjunction with 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, gives us a very definitive statement that eventually bled into church history in Latin. Now, the stupid thing about studying, stupid, the uncomfortable thing about studying the Bible is that sometimes you have to go through three different languages to figure out what they're trying to say. So yeah, I, I'm just, it, men messed it up, God wrote it perfect, okay? So we have to go through the Greek and sometimes the Hebrew and eventually bleed down to the Latin to understand what happened through the course of church history. And with these two versions and verses combined, there was a, a proclamation, a declaration of God's people that came as they stood and decided they would live this new life in Christ. This new Latin phrase became something that was immortalized on coins. It was put on tapestries. It was woven into frescoes. It's this simple phrase, vida que sola, vida nominanda, that I live that now is the real and genuine life. That when someone would pass from an unbeliever to a believer, they would make this declaration, vida que sola, vida nominanda, I live the real and true genuine life. This is who I've always been. This is who I've always intended to be. This is what God intended of my life, that in this moment I have found Christ, I've shed off all of lost sight of this. We've learned to filter ourselves. Remember, the common ideas of culture is you don't talk about politics and religion. You don't mention it. That doesn't help us stand firm in a Latin phrase that calls to us a real and true nature of who we have been made into in Christ Jesus. It's hard to stand in front of friends and family and when they ask what's different about you, you recite these words, vida que sola, vida nominanda. The real and true and genuine life is what you see in front of you. But the Greeks, the early church had no problem. As church history went on, they had no problem, again, plastering it over all of the artwork and some of the coinage that the church used, that now they were made new. I think we need to get back to that, that place. And maybe we're not gonna speak Latin to everybody because they wouldn't understand it. But maybe it's time that, that when someone asks us, what's different, Jesus? What's different about your life? I'm in Christ. You know, you used to be a dirty, rotten scoundrel. Yeah, but that guy's dead and he doesn't live anymore. Who you're looking at is not that old man. I've been made new in Christ Jesus. You know who you used to be? No, I don't remember it anymore because I'm new. When we are unshakable, we know the kind of life that we're striving for, the kind of life that's held in Christ Jesus, the kind of life where we can turn to a Greek word that's so simple, zoe, we can understand the fullness of life that comes from Jesus, that as John said, those that have Christ live in a new full nature of who they are intended to be. If the scriptures, if the scriptures in general are true, and they are, the day you accepted Jesus Christ, everything that God has and everything that God says that you are was deposited inside of you in that very moment. But most of us have lived a lifetime trying to figure out how to get it out. We've lived a lifetime trying to figure out how to live this because we're, try we're constantly fighting even with ourselves. But what about my old life? What about who I was? What about my old station? What about my old mistakes, my past mess ups, my issues? 
Nowhere in this scripture, and I can read you subsequent scriptures, nowhere in the scriptures do we see that God constantly goes back to our old self and says, okay, reconcile all of these issues, and then once you get there, we'll put you on the next pedestal. But once you hit that next pedestal, watch out, because there'll be a new set of rules and regulations and issues to go through, and then we'll bring you up to the next level. You'll level up once you've accomplished this course. You know, the only institution that's done that is religion. Churches, church institutions, get baptized, get confirmed. Why don't you start giving a little more money? Why don't you pray some more? Why don't you attend church a little more? Why don't you join this small group? Why don't you lead this small group? Why don't you, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you? And eventually the, well, the course just seems too long and arduous. The course just seems too difficult. And we stop running our race because we're running to please man, to please someone other than God, and we're not looking at the total understanding of who we are in Christ Jesus, that if you never do another thing, if you never give another dime, if you never prayed another prayer, you are who you are in Christ Jesus. Now, if you don't do these things, you've left a whole bunch on the playing field when this life is over. You have so many resources at your disposal that you have an option to use, but in no way in using those options does it mean you're on or off the team. You're always the star quarterback in the eyes of Christ. Just once that idea is etched on your heart, it's hard to get away from. Many times people who live in this, in this vein of being will be looked at as sometimes arrogant. Sometimes these folks who live in this way, this mode of being, will be looked at as if they think too highly of themselves. No, no, they know without Jesus they're nothing, but they know in Christ they're everything. They know without God, there's nothing that they can do of their own power, of their own will that would make a bit of difference. But in Christ Jesus, there is fullness of life. The question is, are you committed, not just to the process, what we've talked about today, living in the fullness of Christ, living in the example of Christ, what we've talked about is the idea of righteousness. Are you committed to being righteous? Righteousness is not about acting perfect and never failing. Righteousness is not about a set of religious rules and ideas, but understanding that outside of Jesus, you are nothing, but in Christ, you have been made right. If today, Bill Gates decided to adopt you, right? And give you access to the family wealth. Your life would change drastically and substantially. In fact, you wouldn't walk into Von Mar and wonder what you could buy. You'd walk into Von Mar thinking, maybe I'll just buy the whole joint. See, you wouldn't shy away from the amount of money that you can spend on any given endeavor. In fact, many of us wouldn't even know where to begin because there's so much that would be given to us. The same thing's true when we find ourselves in Christ. When we find ourselves the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, the same thing is true, that there's an abundance that's been opened to us and most of us stare at the treasure trove and we don't even know where to start. Let me help you out. Pick something. If it's healing, go after it. If it's provision, go after it. If it's wholeness of mind, go after it. If it's a, a marriage that was broken and needs to be healed, then go after it. If it's you explaining to your kids that they don't have to live the life that you lived, then go after it. But whatever the treasure trove has for you, it's yours. There's no payment that needs to be made to go after what God's already given you. Find a way to get hold of everything that Jesus says you can have. That's where this statement in Latin means something. 
Vida sola, vida nominanda, that we live a real and true and genuine life, that we don't have to wonder or worry, that we don't have to think about tomorrow finally changing so that we can be who we're called to be, that today we make the stance, I am in Christ Jesus. All things are made new. I am a completely new creation. The Jesus I have gives me a life that is unattainable without him. Today, I want to encourage you to know Jesus in that way, to know him in that manner, to know who you are to that depth. Amen.